0: Hello
1: and welcome to another Quarren stream, my weekly streaming series, I guess these days, while we are all practicing appropriate social distancing, looking at you. Uh, My name is Joe Magician, and today we'll be talking about um, not really a character or a house. like I did in the previous weeks where I talked about the Danes and Euron Greyjoy and Brienne. Instead, I know this is a, you know, a little bit of a shock, but I actually released a video. I actually released a video uh, last week and I'll be answering questions about it and chatting today with all of you this fine afternoon. The video in question was called The True Value of Arya's Iron Coin. Um, I'll put links in the description and everything, and they should be some up here if you're watching back. Um, and in that video, I explore what is apparently some kind of worthless iron coin that Jack and Hagar gave
2: Arya, and you know what is the true value of that coin. Hang on, i got to fix the camera real fast. Okay, that looks better. <laughs> Hey guys, how's it going? Uh, seeing in the chat,
1: uh, Warren Dudson, Carl, Karsnark, Andrew K., Aaron M., Aegon Third Targaryen, the Dragon's Bane is here. Wow. Uh, Maester Mary, uh, she has opinions about this. <laughs> uh, Lady Dillsdale, OTDA, Danny McKay. Hey guys, how's it going? Thanks for stopping by for another Saturday afternoon stream. Um, you guys can actually see my awesome shirt now my um space cowboy cowboy bebop shirt and got the plants and i brought back ghost ghost is actually in frame now and this uh this little knife here thing is actually important today um <coughs> so a brief summary of what's in the video if you missed it um is that i think the coin was not actually like a token for a trip or some kind of bravosi only money or like Anything along those lines. Rather, it serves as the faceless man's ID card, their, their identity when they basically don't have one anymore. And because of their history with Bravos, presenting the coin and saying the password compels anyone from Bravos to aid the bearer of the coin, which is essentially what we see happen. Arya walks up, presents it, says Valor Margulis captain of the Titan's daughter says Valor to hire us back and she gets her trip. Um, and this kind of works because as we know during the shifting identity of the Faceless Men, you can't really know what they look like from day to day. So how do you know when you're dealing with a Faceless Man? Well, little iron coin essentially fills the role for that. And it's confusing for Arya because Jackin doesn't explain what's happening, but everyone else is seemingly on the same page, basically saying, Oh, okay. So this means she's a faceless man. All right, I guess we're taking her to Bravos. Um, <laughs> oh, some more people showing up. Uh, Nessie's here. Hey, how's it going, Jade?
2: Jade, dead redhead. Oh, yes the the ship girl. That's right. Um, <laughs> yes, that is how I remember who that is. The one that posts the awesome pictures of the old ships. I am very good at memory. <laughs> uh, before we get into the rest
1: of the questions, I have a whole bunch. I took them from Reddit and um, the video, my Patreon Slack, Patreon, Twitter, that kind of thing. Um, just wanted to take a moment to tell you all the different places you can find my content these days. So get it out of the way at the beginning rather than like in the middle at the end when nobody's watching anymore. Obviously, here on my YouTube channel, make sure you subscribe, share, slam that like button. And/or if you're listening back on my podcast feed, uh, you can find it at the Wit and Wisdom of Joe Magician on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, etc., etc., etc. Also, if you're on YouTube, there's a little bell button down there. Make sure you hit the bell icon, and it will it will allow YouTube to send you push notifications when content from me goes live. Um, <clears throat> also, you may not have noticed, but I recently re-lo- uh, renamed my blog from the clankingdragon.wordpress.com, which was a cool name at the time. but didn't really work with the rest of what I'm doing, so now it's jomagician.wordpress.com. Um, all the links and posts that I put up get posted there, along with sometimes full text of the theories. If I don't put them on Reddit, I'm going to be putting some more blogging kind of stuff up there in the future. Um, and on social media, you can find me at the Joe magician on Twitter and on Instagram. I'll probably change this one too, because it was, it was initially written, named as a joke. It's on Instagram. I have, it's at, at Matt wrote this. Um, anyone that's been following those has been seeing me spamming it with my, um, garden in progress and my seedlings. And of course, finally, patreon.com slash Joe magician, we get access to exclusive patron videos and podcasts the artworks and thumbnails from all my videos especially when Sanry makes them not the kind of janky photoshop ones i make and you can listen and uh, watch the content before anyone else depending on your patron level and you can get access to the patron only slack which is a lot of the people that you see in the chat today a lot of them are over there and basically this kind of these uh, stream chats basically just go on all the time if you get access to that. Oh, and there's another thing. I've been sort of teasing it out that I was going to start doing gaming streams, and I think I've got an idea for it. I haven't. I'm not sure on the day. Maybe Wednesdays. Um, I was going to start streaming uh, Crusader Kings Two. I don't know if you guys saw it last night. I put up a a thread saying I was ending um, the game I was playing with the Starks because my mods were broken. So I fixed the mods, probably going to do a new one Wednesday nights. Probably I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about playing as the Danes keep the, um,
2: the Dane love going from the stream with Chloe a couple weeks back. (laughs) So, you know, with all that stuff out of the way, let's actually, you know, get into the the old content
1: uh, grabbed a bunch of uh, questions and comments because there there was actually quite a lot of them, and they were pretty good um. <clears throat> so let's start off with let's uh, let's grab this one from Ingo Schwartz. I think this was from youtube um, they said thanks that definitely made it made me understand much better what happened to Arya here, but it raises another question. If it is that important to him, how can and possibly give it away? Can he ever replace it, and how? If not, even if it means losing the rest of his already mostly non-existent personality, it might still be worth giving it away from his perspective, but still, seems like kind of a dire situation when giving it away to him seemed extremely distressing. Yes, this was a, a really good comment that a few people brought up where they were like, okay, so <clears throat> Matt, you're proposing that these coins are basically everything to the Faceless Men. It's um, this is their identity. This is their whole personality. Giving it to Arya doesn't that essentially like remove all that? It wouldn't that be extremely like uh, troubling for him as a person? And the answer is yes, it would be. Um, how can he give it away to Arya? I think one explanation for that is that he uh views Arya very, very highly and that it would be worth temporarily giving up this coin to her in order to get her to bravos to be trained, even if it means that it um it inconveniences him or hurts him from a kind of a um a, an internal way where he but on the same level, I mean they do. Practice being no one it's if he's a it's kind of like a needle where you're trying to go away from having that crutch you're trying to going away from being who you used to be and moving towards being this new person or this lack of personhood basically so in in some way you can almost see it as kind of like a uh What's the right word for this? Maybe like an extended practice practice for him where he gives up the one thing that anchors him to it or actually I keep saying Jack into him. We don't actually know what gender he is. He's a faceless man. Kind of how it goes. He could be anything, although he's he's a a man the two times we see him. So it could be something like that where it's like an exercise for him and extending his being okay with not being who he used to be, giving up the iron coin, kind of like, um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen those those clips on YouTube. I think there was a Netflix series about a guy that free climbs incredible mountains and cliff faces. It could be something along those lines where most of the time the faceless men operate with the coin in their pocket, knowing it's basically their um, their safety net. You know, if things go really, really, really bad, well, at least they can, like, find somebody from Bravos, give him the coin, and then be sheltered. This would be, like, the fr- him giving away the coin is the free time version of being himself. He has given away the one thing that is
2: really, really important and keeps him safe. So that could be one way you could understand it. Um...
1: I also really like thinking this is one of those hard questions about Ari and the faceless men and Jack and, and it's why her, what is she offering to the faceless men that makes her so important? It's actually the show makes it way more distinct that it is. There's only like two or three faceless men we even see in the house of black and white with a bunch of, um, which a bunch, which a bunch of, with a bunch of servants. So Arya being the third one in. Really highlights that she's very very important. In the book version obviously we see more of them. Um, the, there's like a fat man. There's a a lordling. There's a guy who can put pop, like, uh, pox on his face. They have a whole little council. While Arya's serving them drinks.
2: But the real question is. What's so special about Her. It's uh, there have been different theories over time. There's been uh, high fantasy ones that
1: because Arya is actually a skin changer that she's she would be incredibly valuable for the faceless men, Um, her ability to use animals and her ability to maybe maybe they don't know how strong she is. Maybe they think she can get into green sight, which, as we know from characters like Blood Raven, was hugely, hugely, hugely important to his success as the spy master where Blood Raven in many ways acted very similar to Jack and Hagar, especially when we see him in the, uh, in the Duncan egg novellas where he is wearing a disguise. He, he presents himself as Maynard plum uh, using a, um, a glamor to disguise his identity, but essentially doing the same things we see from Jack and false identity, investigating plots, um, Although we know what Blood Dragon was doing, we don't really know what the Faceless Men are doing, but somebody skilled in magic would be
2: very helpful for the Faceless Men. <coughs> uh, let's see what's going on in the chat. Uh, Aaron Emson's, I feel
1: like Jacken is also more capable of getting himself back to Bravos without the calling, but he sees Arya as more vulnerable. That's one of the explanations I came up with that Jacken seems to be like the superstar of the Faceless Men. When we see the other members of the Faceless Men, their ability to change their identities are closer to actors, where it's like putting on false noses, putting on fake pox, um, maybe dyeing their hair or putting on wigs, but Jacken has the ability to actually straight up changes his identity in a second to another person. Like <laughs> it, it's far beyond what the rest of the order seems to do. And he's also not at the house of black and white. He's being trusted on his own to be in Westeros. Um, apparently with a, a job from Euron Greyjoy, at least one um, it's assumed that he's the faceless man that threw Bailon Greyjoy, off the bridge um, in the Winds of Winter chapter, which I talked about with, uh, with poor Quentin a couple weeks ago with the Forsaken, Euron just says, yes, he actually did do that. He was behind the Balon's death using a faceless man. So it seems like for him giving this giving this away is way less of a problem. His magical abilities and his abilities to fit in and I mean, he becomes a Lannister Guardsman in like a matter of days. That's kind
2: of hard to do. So if he wanted to, he could probably get back to Bravos much, much, much easier than anyone else could. Whereas I think if the the other Faceless Men gave up their coins, it would be a much bigger deal for them. Oh, interesting uh, comment here from Warren Dudson. He says, if Jaqen is the
1: superstar of the Faceless Men, would his coin be treated differently or respected more at the House of Black and White? This is a good question. Uh, we only see the one. We see the one that Jackin gives to Arya Stark. Um, presumably the rest of the Faceless Men have them too, but I don't think we see them. There is an underground room where they have essentially a huge cache of coins and um
2: Clothes and props and that kind of stuff, but not specifically. Um, not specifically the same uh, iron faceless coin that we see
1: uh, Jack and given to Arya. although there I think there is a similar one we see in an unusual place, I think Penny, Um the the dwarf pig, pig riding entertainer that um, Tyrion meets in a dance with dragons. She says that she, I think she has a coin that the uh, sea Lord of Bravos gave her. And that she said also says it's basically like a coin of great value. Um, that it was a gift for her and her brother for, I guess for making him laugh or something like that. And this is actually could work the same way. If you think about the coin in terms of whoever holds it and uses the the um uses the password would then be treated as a faceless man well if the sea lord of bravos gave one out then that would be an an extremely valuable um gift to give to somebody like penny because it would essentially be the same thing we see with Arya. whenever she gets in trouble she could present it to somebody from bravos and they would treat her like a faceless man that would be pretty incredible um a great gift so there may be there may be more of these things out there like perhaps the well the sea lord of bravos may have some or at least one or something like that the uh iron bank may have may have some because this is sort of a, a thing that came up in some of the comments and questions where people were saying like well, how many of these things are there? How can they actually work? But the point of the faceless men is that the general public of Bravos doesn't really know that much about them. How many are there? What are their exact powers? Where are they going? What are their goals? How are they interacting with the um, the bigger political elements of Bravos? They don't really know. They just they just sort of know that person has the coin, has the password. They're a faceless man. Whatever they look like, however they're acting,
2: that's what it means. So, yeah. Well, that kind of went off topic from where I started, but it's it's really interesting to think about how this would work, especially for the common people
1: of Bravos. How do they view the faceless men? How do they understand what they can do? It may be something along the lines of where they're sort of like uh, the bogeymen, where. They're aware they exist, they're aware that they have some powers, maybe like the relationship between the First Men and the Children of the Forest, where there is a reality to their powers, there is a limit to what they can do. But as far as most adherents to the old gods know, they don't quite understand what their powers are, how far they can go. And they sort of keep it that way. That's sort of on purpose. It keeps them mysterious and powerful, but in the minds of the people that they uh that they interact with.
2: Oh, uh hey Jonas Jensen, just uh popping in. This has been going for about 20 minutes, didn't miss much. Um grab another Oh, when I crow uh, asked a question that
1: I'll get to later. So what was jacking up to when we first in the books? That's I'll get to that a little bit further down. It's a really good question One that. Me and gray area have argued about in uh,
2: DMs and on Twitter many, many times. She doesn't like my idea. I don't like hers. That's how it goes.
0: <coughs>
2: uh, let's see here. So one from.
1: Uh, Fred Versteeg. Uh this is again on YouTube. It says, interesting, might these coins have to do with the magic that makes them change not only their faces but their whole appearance? And what is the resemblance to Melisandre's red ruby? So for those who don't remember from um from a dance with dragons, Mance Raider is disguised as Rattleshirt, And she and it is done with a red ruby that Melisandre gives him, and it's implied, sort of confirmed in the show the ruby that melisandre wears on the choker on her neck is part of her glamour that um similar to blood raven which we see from um duncan egg where there's this sort of idea that george likes playing with that crystalline structures um have the ability to hold and project magic out or some kind of psychic powers um if you've ever read night flyers this was the the basis of my video um the power of the Knights King with the uh, Whisper Jewels. That's what he, he calls them that in a Thousand Worlds universe. I don't think he has a specific name for them in A Song of Ice and Fire, but the idea is the same. That um, magic crystals and rocks in some way can hold magic in a way that other um, things struggle to. Like, they're, they're somehow better at it. Glass candles are a similar idea. The um, obsidian daggers that the uh, children of the forest use to kill white walkers, all the same concept. So are these iron coins in some way like that? Is, is this iron coin the thing that allows Jacken to be as successful as he is with his changing of faces? Because um, if you remember from the video and also from the books, Jaqen essentially does one of these, he goes, Turns around and his face is completely changed. It's much more drastic in the books. He, like his teeth, even change. Um, Everything about him is transformed in a second. So, how is he doing this? Well, a lot of people have questioned if it's a glamour of some kind. Um, Just to briefly explain, glamours, they're sort of uh, illusions, like an illusion magic where the person to everyone else appears totally differently. Um, unless you start looking at them closely, for instance, in, uh, the tales of Duncan egg, dunk sees Maynard plum and he almost sees blood Raven a few times, um, where the magic is kind of sort of slipping away or dunk is, it's kind of unclear why dunk is able to, when nobody else can, it may have something to do with magical abilities or blood or who knows. The important thing is that they are not, they don't stand up to scrutiny. Um, a lot of people have, a lot of characters have noticed that there's something weird about Melisandre's appearance beyond the fact that she is otherworldly beautiful. They literally think that it, there's something false about her appearance, that she seems almost like, like a character somebody drew, like a painting come to life, and that is very true. Or what we actually know about Mal- Melisandre, she's something like 150, 200 years old, um, an old woman masquerading as a younger one, which is even. But hers is so much stronger because, um she, as most of the time, when people get closer to these to these illusions and maybe touch them, they start to fade away. But um Melisandre is well when she's banging the. Stannis Baratheon, and he never notices
2: that her that her glamour falls. So it's extremely powerful. Um, Jacken as well. He does touch other characters. People get in close contact with them.
1: They never. It never seems to fade. And we see in a Dance with Dragons and uh, A Feast for Crows, as well as later in the show, that the Faceless Men actually do have these faces um, that they cut off. Uh, from people and they wear them and somehow there's some sort of magical element. I think they, there's some kind of blood magic involved, but essentially they put on the person's face and then they become them. Aria becomes the little girl, the ugly little girl in, um, whatever chapters, uh, and uncle Joe said the same thing. Um, as far as she's concerned, she doesn't even feel everything, but everyone else is telling her that she looks like this girl. That she is not so does the coin in some way enhance this to get back to uh fred's question it doesn't seem like it um aria does
2: does not have the iron coin anymore when she's wearing it when she's wearing the face um jaqen is able to swap his appearance after giving it away maybe the proximity
1: is something like that but. It seems like the faceless men are operating on some sort of different magical plane, where Melisandre and Bloodraven are using this sort of gem-based glamour magic. The faceless men are doing something else. Uh, I've actually been trying to read for <laughs> quite some time George's other works to see if there's anything sort of like that, where a person puts on an object and they become them. And the closest is actually his story, uh, the Skin Trade, which is a it's a re- actually a really good story. Um, it's sort of like. Um, uh, what's his name? Jim Butcher's series, the. Um, well, I'm forgetting the name right now, uh, the one about the, the wizard detective. George wrote his own version of that, which was basically the skin trade. and in the skin trade, as well as one of his older fantasy stories, I think it's in the lost lands. He has this idea where characters can like cut the pelts off of werewolves dresden files thank you dresden files where you can cut the skin or the pelt off a werewolf put it on and then you become that thing that's the closest analog i've seen george write about for the faceless men that there's at least a similar concept where you're cutting off apart from another being putting on yourself using some magic and you become that person for a little bit um Oh, yes. Everyone said Dresden Files at the same time. Thank you, guys. Yeah, that was a big fail on my part. I couldn't remember the Dresden Files. Um, so I would say the coin probably doesn't have much to do with it. I think it is just a identity sort of thing that the value of it is sentimental and practical and not inherently magical. Although there is um, there is something that people have brought up in the comments on Reddit and on YouTube when they were talking about the connection between. The idea of having an iron coin and the others—we've heard before in uh, *A Song of Ice and Fire* that the others abhor iron. They really, really, really hate it. Um, it's sort of been the explanation for why the Starks of Winterfell put iron swords across the tombs of their of their dead. That it's some sort of protection measure, to maybe some sort of long term like a phobia or just following some story that you put iron keeps them away. So doesn't, is it, is the choice of an iron coin in some way related to the others? And this is one of the really interesting parts of the faceless men is when they start interacting with Westeros and specifically the magical elements. Like, um, there's an old post of mine that I'm going to be adapting into a video because, um, apparently people really like the, uh, the iron coin one, which was a really small sort of just explanation thing, but I have a lot of other parts of the Faceless Man I'm going to cover. But for instance, the face, the, um, the kindly man, the, the Faceless Man that teaches Arya very much looks like Bloodraven uh, when he drops his appearance from the old kindly man to the, the skull with the worm coming out the eye. There's also the weirwood, um, weirwood and Ebony
2: doors on the House of Black and White. They actually have a weirwood face in their um, in their temple, along with all the other gods. And there's there's weird connections between
1: them. So the choice of iron, and it's not just for the faceless men. For instance, the Iron Bank. George may have some conceptions about iron being the opposite or some sort of barrier against magical abilities. Um, I think other people have written about this. I know uh, Maester Mary who is in the chat has written about how exactly does Bravo shield itself from glass candles and the, um, and the Valyrian dragon lords. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really interesting question because Nothing really seems to stop them otherwise but for somehow Bravos in this weird little island is able to. I mean this series of islands in the far north maybe they just couldn't find them on their dragons but it's it's an open question is there some sort of anti magic going on with the faceless men with the iron bank with the bravosi in general
2: that works against these higher fantasy elements. Uh, Anders Graham in the chat says, isn't iron just a symbol of strength,
1: like what Donald Noy says about Stannis? That is one way that um, that it is talked about, that there's iron, steel, and copper referring to the three uh, Bratheon brothers. Um, it's unclear. Uh, oh, yes. Um, Marika Ave and Aaron M. are both talking about how in a lot of old stories about the Fae, um, which are sort of magical creatures from Celtic from Celtic legend. They hate iron. It keeps them away. Could be something along those lines that it's... that the choice of the iron coin is more symbolic is anti-magic than being
2: practical. Although it's weird because the faceless men do use magic. <coughs> um, so, I think I entered that
1: one pretty well about the connections between Melisandre and the faceless Fan. It's a similar effect, but with a different base to it. Oh, um looks like we have a hundred and twelve people right now. um thank you guys all for coming out. It's uh really good to see you on these Saturdays while we're all stuck inside. a little something to do um Slam that like button, share it, et cetera et cetera. Uh, next question that I pulled from YouTube was uh warrior girl 113. Uh, this is more of a general question. Do you believe that Arya's story will be the same in the books as the show? <laughs> this is a big question. It's, it's really hard to say. Um, George has sort of said, when he's when he was asked these questions around season 8 that a lot of the characters will end up sort of in the same place but their path there will be different and but the secondary characters the ones who are left out will be or their roles will reduced will be hugely different arya is arguably one of the main characters so would this in some way tell us about where she's going well the biggest problem with this is that in the in the show they made up the character of the night king the night king is not in the books as far as we know there's the historical night king the um knight's watch commander who gave up his well betrayed his command to chase the night queen who seems to be the only female other we've ever seen and then declared himself king of night and there's some weirdness around it but the actual character of the night king one we see from the show the other with the pointy crown coming out of his head has so far not um not showed up so if she doesn't if that guy doesn't exist if there isn't a one one person you can stab with a dagger then how can Arya's story be the same actually speaking of that Yay. A gift. Um, Maester Mary's new podcast partner, Clint, Clint of the Laughing Tree on Twitter, gave me a Obsidian Dagger. Not a real one. It's plastic. I also broke the tip off. Sorry, Clint. Pretty cool, though. So if that character doesn't. okay, so that's what's going to fall. That's how that goes. Uh, So if that's how, how can the story be the same if the character doesn't exist? It's an open question, though, of why George is forcing Arya to go through the assassin training if there's going to be no one for her to kill. Um, it's the same question you have kind of with Bran Stark, where what is the point of all this training? What is the point of him learning from Bloodraven? Seeing all these things, well, it's going to have to come up somehow, right? It's not He's not going to put his characters through all this for nothing. And in the show we saw, well, yes, that did end up happening where... Bran becomes king by using his weirwood powers in order to manipulate the situation for himself. So there should be something similar for Arya, right? Um, sort of the Faceless Men's aversion
2: to Valyrians is also interesting to me. Um, the story we get from the kindly man in the
1: House of Black and White is basically that The creation of Bravos and the formation of their order was in direct response to Valyrians and their magic, that their practice of slavery and using blood magic and their dragons to oppress is why they came from nowhere, why they rose up from the slave mines and actually take credit for blowing up Valyria. Well, it's kind of, it's implied by the kindly man. That's what happened. I said something about this. I forget. Maybe it was in deep Ge- in deep geeks chat. God, his name is hard to say sometimes. Um, where I've wondered if in the in the book version, the roles of John and Arya are going to be swapped because John's main main enemy throughout the book so far has actually not been Danny or the Valyrians in any way. He's sort of been very separate from that, except for his interactions with Maester Aemon. Um, but he really has been positioning against the others. Um so could it be that Arya is the one that ends up uh killing Danny or killing her dragons in some sort of continuation of the plot that George wrote in that the faceless men are in direct opposition to the return of Valyrian um in the Valyrian empire and the
2: way they destroyed the world everywhere they touched it's something that could be there. That
1: like why why do this? Why why train her? Why set her up to be able to fool people if it's not for something? Killing Arya would be I mean, killing Danny would at least make some more sense than than John doing it. it. Although, of course, you have the Zora High and Nissa Nissa parallels with john and danny but just because george wrote old myths doesn't mean he's gonna do them um oh I have a super chat here from uh ross trembley uh 10 australian dollars says uh thank you uh, thank you very much ross um didn't see a question with it if you have one just drop it in the chat i'll pick it up as i'm going um But yeah, Arya is she has her list of people she's going to kill, but you don't need to be a faceless man to kill a lot of these people. Just like it could just be a normal assassin. George is putting her through to be the next Jack. And why, why do you need somebody like Jack? And well, it would be interesting if that was. Uh, ended up being the end state of Danny and her dragons, but it could also be that maybe there actually is a Night King figure in the books that hasn't showed up yet, or maybe somebody like Euron if he's trying to Eldrick
2: Apocalypse like Horquinn uh, thinks. Uh, let's grab something from the chat real fast. Uh, mega tech PC how do you think Arya is going to get away from the faceless men
1: I think that's a really good question um, that the show didn't really know how to answer the end of Arya's plotline in Bravos was really odd where she ended up declaring I'm actually Arya Stark and they were just like cool go get him tiger that uh, doesn't seem to be how, how it will go down in the books um, I I think the real question is, what do they want her for? Is there a specific purpose that they think Arya Stark can do for them that nobody else can? Specifically because, as not played up in the show, but very much played up in the books, Arya is not just a skin changer. She's a very powerful skin changer. From Bravo, she can skin change um, Nymeria in the Riverlands from Bravos in real time. It was it's extremely powerful like Jon gets separated by ghost with the wall and he's basically got nothing but Arya is going across an a, an entire sea across most of an island and seeing through Daenerys eyes that is ridiculous so she's an extremely powerful skin changer but she's also much like brand she has the ability to skin change multiple animals she has moved on from Nymeria. she can actually see through the eyes of a cat that she uses to spy for her which it makes you think of um like i talked about earlier sort
2: of a blood raven style of um spy master operator killer where
1: i'm it, it's unclear Jackin has not showed the ability to skin change Arya could very well be the most powerful faceless man they've ever had so uh, ned johnson says the wall may jock, may block john's working power yes that is also true that um the wall stands between them there's been some sort of nebulous idea that maybe the skin changing can't go through the wall but it's important that Arya is extraordinarily powerful, and they're training her to be able to change
2: her appearance and kill everything. So it's it's kind of um, answering the question of what they want her for
1: it, it is also the answer of how she gets away. Maybe they want her to get away. Maybe they maybe they're sending her back to Westeros as almost a a rogue agent against the forces of magic that are raising back up in the in Westeros maybe in a, in opposition to the old gods whose um their powers are less oppressive than the valyrian freehold in terms of like what they can do with it but their mind control well not really well yes actually their mind control their ability to influence dreams their ability to um work from the shadows and control societies is no less destructive to the, to regular people, especially to like maybe the faceless men. But there's also Danny's dragons have showed back up. The Valyrian empire seems like it might be a thing again. So they may, they may be reacting to the, the rising of the force of magic and being like, well, we need to get one of those. It's specifically called out by, um, by the kindly man that when they started that the faceless man had some sort of ability to either resist or go around the Valyrian magic. And that was their create. That was their hurdle. They had to get over They had to have the ability to defeat high fantasy. Well, villains in their minds, the, uh, the villains of their story.
2: So, and you usually need magic to kill magic, unfortunately. Uh, for instance, like the, a lot of the
1: same concepts are just being used differently by different um, magical actors in the story. Like Rolore apparently can raise uh, the undead as well with Barak Dondarrion, but so can the others. They can raise their own. They can raise their army of whites. So they're both working with necromancy, but it's sort of. What are they using it for? And the Faceless Men could be planning to use Arya. Radicalize her. Arm her with magical abilities. And send her back to Westeros to make sure. That um, maybe the Valyrians don't rise again. Maybe stop the. um, The old gods. Although Bran ends up king as a weirwood. As basically a weirwood god. That
2: kind of. Hurts that idea. It's, It's kind of unclear. Or even if she will get away. Running from the faceless men would be. That would be interesting.
1: Like would Jaqen have to go kill her? Would he be sent after her? Would he even want to? Like a key part of the theory that I put forward is that Jacken thinks very, very highly of Arya. Um, and he sort of acts apart from the rest of the faceless men. He's allowed to be his own entity, basically his own agent out in the world. So if she can get away, would they even want to stop her? I don't know. It, it's, um, it's a very good question that gets to the heart of what they are doing in the story and what they want Arya for all sorts of theories. I'm not sure myself, but those are my guesses so far that, they're sort of positioning
2: her to be the counterbalance to the rising of magic. Oof, let's grab another question here. Uh, This actually came from Reddit.
1: Um, It was a series of really good comments by this person, um, but I picked out one that I really liked, and it was um, from user Cave Lupum. And they were reacting to the glass flower aspect of the theory, talking about the, the use of almost a physical totem as a part of the, as, a, as an external part of their personality. And they made the great connection that actually made me go, damn it, why didn't I think of that? Um, God damn it. And it was that... Arya feels the same way about Needle, that the, the sword that Jon gave her very early on in, a, in a Game of Thrones that she keeps with her throughout her time in Braavos, sort of hidden, functions the exact same way that I'm proposing that the iron coin works for Jaqen. That as she goes down this to being no one, that she's stripping away her personality, she always has Needle in the back of her mind as this external object where she's sort of putting her soul into it. Where when she touches it and when she thinks about it, the no one fades away and Arya Stark, daughter of Ned, a sister to John, comes roaring back into her personality. And they actually grabbed a really good quote on that. Um, It said, No one, she would answer. She had been Arya of House Stark, Arya Underfoot, Arya Horseface, she had been Ari and Weasel too, and Squab and Salty, Nan the Cupbearer, a Grey Mouse, a Sheep, the Ghost of Haranel, but not for true, not in her heart of hearts. In there, she was Ari of Winterfell, the daughter of Lord Eddard Stark and Lady Catelyn. In there, she was someone, but that was not the answer the kindly man wanted. And yeah, it's, um, it's the exact parallel for what I was talking about. Very unhappy I didn't think of it when I was writing it so uh, so obvious but so well put here that um these things these physical objects reminding her of who she is and bringing her back to what to aria to being a stark to being from winterfell exactly the same idea that it actually made me question um the iron coin thing if it was just If it's for all the faceless men, do they all have these things? Or is it Jackins? Does that coin mean something to him in particular? Much like in the glass flower for Cyrene of Ash or Kyrene. I bet George has some weird way of saying that. Um, Where the glass flower is hyper personal to her. It was a gift from a boy on her home planet of ash that long after the boy has probably died and She's probably forgotten everything about him. She still holds on to this thing to anchor her back to her uh, to her personality. So, yeah, I think that that was a really, really good comment by Cave Lepham, and, and perfectly demonstrates the idea. Um, and it's something you see elsewhere in the story, for instance, um, Damon Blackfire, his last name taking on the name Blackfire, he has put his identity um into having the sword the having the sword blackfire it's kind of you can't really separate them anymore. They are one and the same. But in his heart of hearts he's still Damon Waters. Sort of a, a similar split of personality. Um really good uh thanks cave lupum there's well there's a Reddit thread and they made a lot
2: of really good points like this. Um Grab something from <laughs> Courtney Mazza you heard it here
1: first. The rumor that Matt is Gurm is fake news. There's rumors that I was George R. R. Martin. Do I look like Jeff T? Do I look like Brendan B Fish? Although we do have a similar um love <laughs> of delaying projects until they are perfect and then releasing them long after
2: they promised. so I guess kind of germ like in that way. Both perfectionists. <laughs> oh, hey, Bernie's here. Uh, Chrissy of Old Stones, I see she showed up. How's it going, guys? Um, I saw somebody tagged me earlier
1: up. Uh, Seth Smith. Uh, Hi, first time stream chatter. What are your thoughts on Jack and Hagar being serial Pharrell after serial's uh, disappearance in the books? Could next connection to Bravos? the faceless men be deeper than that also welcome to the stream seth uh thank you for making it hope you're enjoying it this is one of the primary jack and hagar faceless men um questions that comes up one that was in the show i, I hope you guys remember there was that uh, there's a picture of a character in the background of one of the promos and there was a whole lot of people like outlining and drawing with a red arrow saying like oh my god it's cereal he's alive he's in bravos he, he made it out um <laughs> it's one of those theories that just will not die um i think at con of thrones i did a panel with a uh, bookshelf stud kim renfro and sam adolfo <laughs> and sam actually told a story about um she's a friend of uh miltos uh the guy who played um, Cyril Farrell in, in the show, and how he's been waiting for the end of the series so he can finally say, uh, what he was not allowed to while the show was going on that Ciro did die after uh, fighting M- Marin Trant, that he is a hundred percent dead, um, at least in the show version. But it's one of those things where George writes characters that are very similar. Where they're echoes of each other and people look at them and wonder. It's like, well, if Jack and Kumi anybody, couldn't he be Syria? Uh, You get a similar thing with um, Rhaegar and Mance Raider, where some people have suggested uh, Rhaegar's breastplate had a lot of rubies in it. And we know Melisandre uses rubies in order to make glamour. So, was the person that died on the trident not actually Rhaegar, but a fake? That kind of thing. And I think it's just that, I think it's similar characters, echoes of each other, that um Ciro and Jackin are similar because they're doing the same role in the story for Arya. They're serving as mentors, they're serving as teachers, and they're both from Bravo, so there's overlap in their understandings and viewpoints on the world. Um it would certainly be a twist <laughs> if Jack and Hagar was Cereal Farrell. Um,
2: I, I don't think he is, though. I think, the, um, I think it would actually sort of in in some ways it
1: would be kind of cool if he was, but it would also kind of cheapen what Sirio's death means for Arya and um, how he stood up for her and how when the when the god of death came for him, how he reacted. If it was actually just a bait and switch and it was, oh by the way, Ciro actually lived, he's been jacking this whole time. Haha. Ha. Well it doesn't it doesn't really mean a whole lot anymore. It's um it's one of the it would be a narrative payoff that would be a really cool twist that would destroy a primary part of Arya's um or his journey to where she is now that, Oh no, she's, he's actually not dead. I faked you out. Ha ha. I am germ. It would be like, if Ned was still alive, um, a lot of people like writing these theories that there's actually someone else or Ned's still alive somewhere else. And it's like, it would be a really cool twist, but it would totally undercut the point of the death. Um, Ah, uh, guilty undertaker says, "If Sirio escaped, then the first shot of Bravos did run, and Serio lied." Yeah, it would also go completely against his character. Everything he's been telling Arya about—you stand and fight, and you do not run—it it, it like destroys it. He's uh, he would it would be Serio living a lie that everything he told Arya is untrue. That um
2: that all of her, his lessons were not worth listening to. Us uh, Sasuke
1: says, "If Serio lived, we would have seen something happen to Marin Trant." I think so. I've always been he died. Yeah, that's true too. It would also mean that Marin Trant is also, um, <laughs> he's also let Serio go without any damage to himself. It, it doesn't it doesn't really do a lot. Um, but I do think it is really interesting. That Arya's story, even from a Game of Thrones, has been tied to Bravosi characters. That for some reason George has always been pushing him toward has always been pushing her, sorry, uh, towards the Bravosi, towards the Faceless Man, that somehow a first sword and a faceless man are integral to her character. That she he always wants her going there, he always wants her learning from these characters. And when you think uh, again, like I pointed out in the video, when you think about the formation of Bravos and what they were created in opposition to—the Valyrians, the dragons, slavery—all these um, things—that they are the rebellious, the rebels of the um, the free cities—that they they function as like a counterbalance to imperialism—is interesting in terms of why George is associating with. Her so strongly again. Going back to, will Arya be the one to kill Danny or kill the dragons? It, it it could be. There's something there for why he's like John is so associated with the Nice Watch, and um, brands associated with the old gods. There, all, all the Starks are taking on different factions
2: from the world. So if you can maybe use their history to extrapolate out what they're sort of doing. Uh, Okay, I need another sip of water (laughs) with the the old house strong dunk mug. Uh, This was from Reddit, uh, Pirate Robot Ninja
1: of De. I never know how to pronounce this one. It's one of those things on Reddit where you see somebody's name and it's like, (sighs) I have no idea how to pronounce your name, but I always say it the same in my head.
2: Um, they question, uh, in the video I make, um, I take a
1: a line where the faceless men are going around and essentially saying, I cannot kill this person because I know them. And uh pirate robot ninja is questioning, is that a, is that a real rule? Is it a hard and fast one? Or is it one can it be, can it be bent? This is sort of like the uh, prime directive from Star Trek where Nobody can break the prime directive except for all the times they do. They constantly break the prime directive. It's um, <clears throat> so is this rule the same? And they bring up a lot of good um points about how Arya is killing people <laughs> that she knows, and for personal reasons, she is not um acting in accordance with this scene. Like uh, in particular, when she kills uh, Daron, the Night's Watch a person that came with Sam and Eamon on the boat. Um, she kills him out of personal kind of rage at seeing a Man of the Night's Watch not on the wall thinking about John. Um, she also has her list. She has been trying to get revenge on people in particular. It seems the Thesis Men know about her list and are not really... not really discouraging her from doing it. And in the Winds of Winter, um, members of the Lannister Guards have of the Lannister regime have showed up in Braavos to negotiate. Um, and I believe that among them is one of the people on Arya's list. And it seems like the Faithful Men in particular are sending her there to do a job, but it's right next to what she's supposed to do is the person she wants to kill personally. And I think, um, oh, I said it wrong. Um, Aegon the Dragon's Bane says it's Darion, not Darion. Yeah, you're right. Um, so, I think that's one of the primary things that is happening with Arya's story in Bravos. It is a larger theme where she struggles with the idea of no one versus Arya giving up the things she wants in order to be. Um, oh, a Barrel Rider says, Raph the Sweetling. Yes, Raph the Sweetling has showed up in Bravos. Um, is she no one? Is she Arya Stark? Can she serve a higher power or? will she have her own goals in mind the entire time? And I think it's one of those things that they all must struggle with because giving up your personality to become the sort of, to become a faceless assassin as we've seen is, is really, really hard on the psyche that how do you stop being yourself? How do you become like a blank person? Um, we sort of see it with down Dondaren where he come every time he comes back from the dead, he's less himself that he's slowly trending towards no one. But that process for him is hugely um hugely negative on him and his like sanity is coming apart. And it's like to become a faceless man, to become no one is Essentially drives them insane. It drives them to um being almost like I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this, but sometimes you hear stories about like um, feral children or children that were um, massively abused in terms that they were deprived human contact their entire lives. And they're sort of like these weird, almost blank people when they were found. And going towards that is just torturous on a person. So it seems like the sort of goal where they can't really get there but it's something they're always striving for and i think it's kind of like the night's watch vows where it's like they say you can't father any children you can't have any wives but they still go off to moles town and they don't get killed i think it's a, a same sort of thing here where the faceless men know that their members are going to try and get personal vengeance they are going to try and use their powers for their own for things that they wanted before they joined the order. It's more about discouraging it and um, trying to get them to act more towards being no one rather than like, you broke the rule, you're out of here. <laughs> uh, yeah, a guilty undertaker. Yeah, I was talking about the prime directive. I don't pretend to understand Brannigan's law.
2: I merely enforce it. Yeah, it's uh, it's a similar sort of thing. It's, it's a rule that they break all the time. Oh, and actually
1: a good uh, point from them. Another one, not to mention there are Night's Watch bastards in the story. Craster and Mance, yes, the Night's Watch members do break their vows. They don't always get killed for them. Just like the Faceless Man, I don't think they kill everyone that shows up. Oh, uh, Lady Starfall showed up in the chat. Hey, how's it going? Um oh uh, yeah sorry you guys uh i had set the stream by accident to start now not in it but that was a misclick i meant to have it go live at 1 p.m eastern standard time not 2 so i kind of faked a bunch of people out which is even more impressive that you all showed up at the right time 131 people um right now um yeah, leave a like share do all the things and um if you have any uh, particular questions you want to make sure that I, that I answer or if you just want to support the channel, Super Chats are always available and those sticker
2: things. not really sure what the sticker things are for, but they look cool. Um... <laughs> I wish I could do my own stickers. Like If I could like get hand uh, to
1: make some, kind of like Twitcher notes, that'd be pretty cool. Maybe at some point. Um, there's actually a really good quote going back to what I was talking about from Pirate, Pirate Robot Ninja. Um, it's a quote from the Kindly Man. These are really worth going back and reading. By the way, the, uh, the what the Kindly Man says to Arya, they're super fascinating. He says, "Death is not the worst thing." The Kindly Man replied, "It is. It is his gift to us, an end to want and pain. On the day we are born, the Many-Faced God sends each of us a dark angel to walk through life beside us." When our sins and our sufferings grow too great to be born, the angel takes us by the hand that leads us to the nightlands, where the stars burn ever bright. Those who come to drink from the black cup are looking for their angels. If they are afraid, the candles soothe them. When you smell our candles burning, what does it make you think of, my child? And it's it's, it's a quote and an idea from the kindly man getting at the idea that uh, The the primary idea behind the faceless men and what they are trying to do is it actually being no one, or is it serving the many-faced god? And I think those are the primary a primary struggle with members of their order. How do you be? How do you serve the many-faced god, or versus your earthly attachments, sort of thing? It's actually kind of like how they talk about this in Avatar: The Last Airbender when to become fully realized avatar uh ang is at certain points told that he has to give up his all of his earthly attachments his love for characters <laughs> which we see um ends up being sort of not true because he does end up uh, marrying katara spoiler alert and having kids so he does have earthly attachments but
2: it's it's part of his personality he ends up splitting <laughs> uh, Ion Trone saying we have glass candles. Well, that's good. As long as the Bravosi aren't, block, aren't uh, blocking them. Ah,
1: so here we go. Um, this was another really good comment from Reddit. Our user was Reddit of, an, of unusual size. Another interesting name. Um... What they say is this is the kind of theory I like. It's dialed down, it sticks tightly to the script, explains some otherwise baffling actions we've seen in the books in a clear, concise way. Well done and a very persuasive explanation for how the iron coin works. Ah, uh, that's not part of their question. I just read it because it made me feel good to read. Um, <laughs> um even better, it offers us a useful null hypothesis going forward if the iron coin is a symbol of the faceless men to be presented in extremis to a bravosi for assistance it stands to reason that its absence turning it over to aria may well cause problems for the faceless men currently known as pate and the winds of winter precisely because it serves not just as a plot device for aria but a checkoff's gun for jack and now he's turned it over to aria this is a really really good point so if it if having this coin essentially gives you like um, a get out of jail free card, it gives you, it opens doors that it would normally be closed. Well, it's not just a personal problem that Jacken has given over his identity to Aria in order to have her go train at the house of black and white. It means he has taken away from himself the ability to use it. And, um, he's an old town now and things are not, looking to be okay there for instance uh, many think that Euron is going to continue down from um, the shield islands and end up sacking old town or Eldric apocalypsing blowing horns calling the old ones from the deep burning the city down Jaqen is now stuck there and if he only has the one coin and he's giving it to Arya he is in might be in a lot of trouble, especially because we saw his Pate impression. It's actually not that good, especially to the people that um, especially to the people that know Pate, that he does not talk the way that Jack and uh carrying it off. It, their sort their disguises work much better when they're anonymous rather than when they're impersonating a specific A specific person, you know what I mean? Where it's better if if it's just a random face. But a lot of people that know the person in um in detail would sort of be like, there's something off about you. There you're not acting the same. Are you okay? Uh sort of similar to the way that Dunks starts seeing through Maynard Plum and seeing Bloodraven. Um people have brought up before that maybe there's more than one coin, maybe Jockin carries two and um reddit of unusual size i brought this up to them as well and they had a really good comeback to that where they said if the coin is as important as i'm saying if it really is a manifestation of his identity of his soul that it serves for jack in the same way that needle serves for Arya, then it would actually undercut that idea if
2: george gave jack in two um that it actually would
1: remove the narrative tension from Jack and that it was actually nothing to give her the extra one that he carries it all the time and says in case he sees an apprentice that it ra- that it raises tension and improves um whatever George is playing with old town with you in the back of the head knowing that Jack and might be in real trouble now um like for instance if you comes raiding to Old Town, it's perhaps if Jacken gets wind of it, he could always jump on a Bravosi ship and get out of there. If that is no longer available to him, if that is a a dramatic tension that George can use, then that would be that would be um very impactful for the reader. Because we've really never been fearful for Jacken before, like his his personal survival. The closest was when Arya gave him the axe in order to um escape in the in um when there was a fire around their cage or whatever that was the closest to come since then jacken's pretty much skating on his um on all dangers and kind of going back to being a master assassin but if he can't be caught like we see with him in the in the black cells then could it happen again what would happen Especially if Euron knows Jackin is there if, if part of the job was not just to kill Balon But then also go to Old Town um, It could be very dangerous to him personally For instance, is Jaqen um, there stealing something for the Faceless Men Or is he there stealing something for Euron If it's for Euron, that would make it much more interesting um, Or is Jaqen there, is he supposed to open the gates For the Ironborn when they show up I'm not really sure, but I think Reddit of, an, of unusual size made a really good point that it would make, it would make very good practical sense for Jacken as a character, as a, as a real person, to carry two coins, one for Apprentice, one for himself. But it would be worse for storytelling if he actually did that, which makes me think that perhaps he actually only does have the one, and that is
2: personally very hard for him to give it up for Arya. Uh, Courtney Mazo says, isn't he after the books on dragons on the citadel?
1: That is uh the working theory a lot of people have that he is stealing the um Walgraves, I think. He's stealing his co- his um uh, his key that opens all the doors in the citadel. Um it's been hinted at that within the citadel contains books on dragons. Um Euron claims that. Many people have suggested that Euron paid for the death of Balon Greyjoy with a dragon egg. Maybe the faceless men are trying to seek books in order to how to hatch them themselves. That would make interesting. That would make for an interesting plot for why he's there. Um, uh, Yes. (laughs) Nessie in the chat, um, The Unspun Yarn. Here's a new um, YouTube channel, or she renamed it The Great Books Heist. Yes, this is the idea that. Um, everyone's going to old town looking for the knowledge locked away in their vaults. Could be, could very well be the, tr- the truth to it. Um, but I do like this tension that's being set up that Jacken is in old town. He's looking for something. Euron might be on his way as well. And Jacken is deprived of his primary way of escaping something
2: like an ironborn invasion. <laughs> Uh, Guilty Undertaker asks, would Maynard Plum have been a, as effective a disguise if
1: Dunk were familiar with the real Maynard Plum, assuming he exists? No, I think that's exactly the point. Bloodraven is pretending to be somebody that nobody knows. So his behavior can't be compared to the real version. Um, The, the, the glamour he's wearing does start wearing off from Dunk's perspective. But nobody knows there's anything wrong because Maynard Plum is a made up essentially a made-up person, or nobody at White Walls knows the real one, so they don't know anything Anything amiss. jacken's actually taking a huge risk pretending to be Pate and trying to live his life. We see him um, interacting with Marwin the Mage and Laros and uh, Lazy Leo Tyrell, where he goes up and says, hi, I'm Pate the, the pig's boy. And as the reader, you sort of go, we just saw Pate interacting. That's not how he acts. So it's one of those things that um, I really love thinking about in terms of the Faceless Men, where Jackin is presented as this hyper prepared, amazing assassin, but he's not perfect. Uh, he is not able to trick everyone all the time. His Peyton impression is pretty bad, <laughs> um, especially the people that know him. So I think it is possible that Jacken might get caught in the Winds of Winter um, without his coin. And be in a situation where that comes back to bite him that the sacrifice he gave to Arya ends up being part of maybe his downfall. It's one of those things where as we get to the Winds of Winter and if Euron shows up in Old Town, looking for what happens to Pate. That would be really interesting. Uh on Trone says, and Alaris is living a double life, so mayhaps more likely to recognize it in Jack and Pate. Yeah, that's a really good point. Alaris, uh, most people think is Sorella Sand, uh, the daughter of Oberyn, and the Citadel pretending to be um, this character known as Alaris the Sphinx. Um, that's actually something that I'm going to talk about in a future uh, Faceless Men video for how Jack and ended up in the Black Cells. Um i've always noticed (laughs) that varus in the books is much more in behavior closer to a faceless man than he is in the show in the show he's presented as this uh spy master who just uses the reading of letters and his little birds to kind of fool everyone but in the books he's actually a master of disguise himself he grew up as a mummer or an actor so Varus would be in a position to recognize somebody that is doing the same thing, like Jack and Hagar, perhaps, than anyone else. That's something. Look for that in the future of me. I'll be expanding on that, but it's the basic idea that, um, you know, game recognizing game, sort of thing. A <clears throat> uh, Bolton's landshade wind marlin see through the skies. It is a large tension with Marvin as a character of how much does he know about the people that are serving him? It may, it seems almost comical that Marvin would not know that Alaris is sorella. He may recognize immediately that Pate is, has been replaced by a faceless man, but not doing anything about it. Um, especially with his glass candle. So it's, it's kind of an open question of, if
2: Marwin has noticed these things, why isn't he doing anything about it? A future video right there. Um, <coughs> Just grab something from the chat here. Uh, Courtney Mazza says, oh, he definitely
1: didn't throw into the sea. Use it to pay for his brother to be tossed. Yeah, exactly. Um, somehow,
2: Euron acquired a dragon egg, and that's how he paid for Balon's uh, murder. Um, <clears throat> Angel Dalton says, do you think Jockin could
1: possibly be the original faceless man? Maybe that's why he has the coin. Um, yeah, you know, it is... Uh, a question about Jack and Hagar: Who this, who this faceless man actually is? Because his powers are are apparently so much stronger than everyone, all the rest of them except for Arya. Um, we do know that characters can survive forever. It'll be not, not to give away a future video, but whites seem to last almost forever. Um, they stop needing to eat. They stop needing to sleep. They just sort of exist. So. Could the original faceless man still be alive? I mean, it very well could be. Bloodraven is alive long after everyone thought he was dead. The undying are not alive in the in the sense we think of it, but they have found ways to cheat death for quite a long time. Stories of characters like the Grey King lasting for almost forever. Um, <clears throat> it is an interesting, interesting possibility that Arya is interacting with a living legend um this is something that comes up in other stories like in particular the um the night angel series where uh i I don't want to give too many spoilers away but it it is a plot point in that book that characters you think are mythological and dead are actually alive in that series and it would be really interesting if That is this a similar idea that maybe is happening with Jacken. He is the the original faceless man still walking the earth, unable to forgot who he was and
2: um picking out his next apprentice. That'd be super interesting. Um definitely a part of a future video. Um
1: Uh, from Reddit, Wild2098, um, they say, I like the idea the totem could somehow protect the holder, as, say, a magical ward like Iron might do. Mayhaps that's how glass candle users can't see them. So this actually ties back into Marlin <laughs> uh, like we were talking about a little bit. It's the idea that if Iron is abhorrent to magic in some way, Jacken could now be vulnerable now that he doesn't have it if it actually works like that which is kind of a bunch of suppositions built on each other, but also something to think about. If there is a practical point to carrying around these iron coins, if they actually do something, Jack and not having it provide, prevents, uh, no longer prevents that from happening. For instance, the Bravosi, for quite a long time after escaping, were able to hide from the Valyrians and their glass candles. It may mean that Jackin is now vulnerable, that his disguise's is pate is not going to work. Um, especially, some people have wondered if Euron has a glass candle. Um, if he is on Nightwalker from Carth, if that's how he is um, making all this work. That uh, Jack and Hagar is, or whoever that whoever he actually is, if he's the original faceless man, whatever. Let's call him Jack and Hagar for the just for simplicity's sake. If he if he can now be unmasked, if this is like a glass candle works in terms of like an x-ray detector where the skies go down and you can see who they actually are be really interesting um i i I don't have the link to it but maester mary definitely wrote a really interesting theory a while back talking about how um bravos hides itself from the valerians um, everybody, the mods in the chat, if you could grab that and po- post that, I forget what it's called, but I know it was really good. <laughs> oh, the uh, Speed of Lands. Amanda showed up. Hey, Amanda, good to see you.
2: Um, not much Ironborn this time. I'm sorry. We have been talking about Euron, but the inter. Although I did actually just mention the Grey King, so what do you know? Maybe I summoned Amanda with all that. <clears throat> um grab another uh one from the dock. Uh I believe this was from I think this was from Reddit, uh from Vantall.
1: Um, any idea on how Jacken ends up in the black cells? Why animals like Biter and Rorge seem to respect and even listen to his orders? What <coughs> excuse me. Drink that water a little bit too fast. Was he the faceless man who killed Balon? A uh, whole lot of questions here. I think um the right the Biter and Rorge connection with Jackin is something I find really interesting that that they've essentially been in the black cells with Jack the entire time, as far as we know, and also that they were caged up together on their way North to the wall with, um, with Yorn and why they were even being grouped together. Like we know Rorge and Biter are kind of a team that Biter was a essentially like, he was a fighter in these like underground, um, Blood sport sort of things, kind of kind of like you see a marine. Um, his teeth are filed down. He was kind of almost used as like a human dog fighting sort of thing. And Rorge was kind of his handler. But how does Jack and Hagar, the faceless man, fit in with these two? Um, why would they end up together <laughs> in the black cells? Especially when we know that in the black cells, um, people are usually separated. Like uh, Ned is isolated most of the people in the black cells are kept in their in their own their own cells basically so why are they being grouped together this entire time and i do have some ideas about this um if not to get too far into it but if jockin needed them for something if he was doing something in the red keep or doing something in king's landing and perhaps hired them for a job if they all got caught together, that would make sense. But there's also um, <clears throat> an interesting part of the Faceless Men in that Jackin has the ability later on, we see he can swap his face immediately. Um, but it's unclear if he has that ability in the black cells. So if he escaped from his cell somehow, then... You could instantly maybe take somebody's face and become them, but if you trap them with Rorge and Biter, Rorge and Biter are very unique looking characters. Rorge is missing his nose. Biter essentially looks like a feral dog. So if he if he tried to escape the the Red Keep using their faces, they would he would stand out basically. Um, so that's I guess one pur- purpose for why they would be joined together in the cells that it's sort of like if he was caught and whoever caught him knows he's a faceless man trapping him with people whose faces are not anonymous but instead would
2: stand out they could be almost be like a security measure um it could also just be random
1: uh, as to why they are scared of him um Jackin is a scary person, just sort of in general. Um, maybe he demonstrated some of his powers. Maybe he beat the crap out of them, or um, because the two of them worked together as a pair, maybe they tried to attack Jack and, and he beat them both effortlessly, so now they're afraid of him. That kind of thing.
2: Um, like a uh, Jack, and, like a um, like a prison fight, that kind of thing. <coughs> what he's doing
1: in the black cells is very much one of those things that George, I, I, (laughs) it's hard to say what's going on there because it's so weird. It's never been explained. Um, even some of his other mysteries in a game of Thrones, he has gone on his way to solve for us. Like, um, he explained the, who sent the cat's paw that it was it was actually joffrey he explained that later um these minor mysteries you know normally explains them somehow even if it's books later in like some sort of detail but there really hasn't been much put into what Jackin was doing in the red keep what he was doing in the black cells and what he was doing in westeros especially because we know he's been contracted to go kill Balon Greyjoy. So if you have to go kill Balon Greyjoy, then why would you be in the black cells? Uh, you'd want to be on your way to Um the Iron Islands in some way, right? Um obviously Euron has some sort of time frame because he shows up a day after Balon dies.
2: So it's it's kind of unclear. <clears throat> I have ideas about
1: Perhaps um, Peter Baelish being involved for what he was doing there. But yeah, it, it's, it's
2: even just tracking his timeline for what he's doing in Westeros is hard. Because um, you meet him, he's in the Black Cells. Then he's put on
1: this cart going to the Night's Watch. Presumably... Maybe he could have escaped at any time, but he if he could, he wasn't. He was sitting there for some reason. Then he escapes. Then he becomes a Lannister guardsman for a while. Then after that, he you have to suppose he then went to the Iron Islands, killed Balon, but on a, a specific time frame because, again, Euron shows up a day after Balon dies, so there's some kind of schedule he's following. And then he goes to Old Town, kills Pate, and now he's doing something in the Citadel linking those together is a very hard thing to try and do and if there's some sort of singular idea that's linking together especially that with Arya then being thrown into the picture where he I guess goes away from his stated job of going to kill Balon for a little bit to hang around with Arya Stark Hard to put together. Uh, Amanda says, or Lands, Gurm is a mid. he is not the best with his timelines. Yeah, this may be one of those things where he had an idea to begin with and then changed it a
2: bunch of times. And now you just sort of have to look back out and scratch your head. <coughs> um. Young, Cro- young crone says there are theories that he was in the black cells planning
1: to kill ned on his way to the wall um yeah it, it's one of those things where how could jack know ahead of time that ned was going to be sent to the wall um because the plan to send him to the wall comes up only kind of after the insurrection against joffrey sort of against cersei and joffrey and it was Varys who wanted him to go to the wall but um, Joffrey and Baelish wanted 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 Ned dead. I think a lot of them would have been happier if Ned just went back home. It's also interesting to note that at this time that there are quite a few people trying to kill Robert Baratheon so maybe he was there trying
2: to kill another king. Um Elg um, Gambleby not watched the Iron Coin video
1: video yet, but stoked to be here. Uh, glad you could join us. Uh, video is pretty short, only about thirteen minutes long. Um, welcome, glad to have you here. Uh, Edward Martin says, "Meaning Arya changed his plans." Yep, um, that seems to be the point that there that Arya in some way forced the character we know as Jack and. To maybe delay some things, that he hung around in Hall maybe longer than he would have wanted to, specifically to get to know Arya. Um, or he knew he had time before he had to go to the Iron Islands and kill Balon. But I, I don't know. The, the, to even plan that out is is hard to do in your head. Like, so when did Guron Go to the faceless men. When did he give them the dragon egg? Then Jack and then has to get to Westeros, and they have to coordinate on a specific day. um The gla- urine having a glass candle makes this a lot easier, or in terms of what he's doing, but he still has to
2: have some idea when Balon's going to die. Um. <clears throat> I I get the feeling that um that
1: George, that this is one of those things where like at the start of game of thrones Westeros is pretty, is pretty small and then as the story grows it grows by thousands of miles as he decides it's bigger than it was to begin with. I think Jacken is one of those characters where there he's essentially been kind of retconning as he's going coming up with cooler ideas for what to do with him and then just sort of going like, yeah, but don't look too hard at what he used to be. You kind of have the similar thing happening with, um, Illyrio and Varys where if you track their plans from book to book, it gets really hard to be like, wait, what, what were they doing? He actually, um, makes a joke about it in a dance with dragons where (laughs) one of the members of the golden company where um, they're talking about Illyrio and he says something along the lines of, oh, what is the fat man's plans this time? It changes with like the turn of the moon. George um, making a joke in himself because he played Illyrio in um, the pilot for A Game of Thrones. Oh, not Illyrio, but he he played a Pantashi. Um, but talking about Illyrio and probably also himself that, yeah, George often does change ideas for his characters. Like, for instance, Catelyn Stark when it first started off was supposed to die beyond the wall to the others and instead dies in the riverlands to the phrase and becomes lady stoneheart it's um
2: sometimes things just don't make sense when you really tr- think hard about them looking backwards um Yes, Carl Karsnark, I know how to pronounce it. I was just being funny. Or tried
1: to be. I guess the joke didn't come across. Uh, Bolton's Lampshade says, Is it conceivable that the Faceless Men have their own prophecies? Very true. Um, prophecy is not re- just isolated to one group of magic users. The Children of the Forest have their own. The Targaryens have their own. The Undying have their own. Euron has his own somehow by taking Shade of the Evening. Um, it's very possible that in a similar way... Maybe you could think of the Faceless Men in terms of like someone like Rhaegar, where or someone like Melisandre, where they see something shadowy in the future and they're moving towards it, but maybe their interpretation is wrong. Or there's some you never know, maybe something from Slave Minds, or something they've been holding on to all this time, um, that is influencing what they're doing now but it's kind of unclear maybe george is yet to reveal it or
2: maybe it's hidden in something a kindly man said he drops a lot of detail in those chapters <clears throat> um, barrel Rider says it would be ironic that marwin didn't see
1: through fake pate sam is likely the one who sees through the truth about pate and Sorel because he's always m- because he always feels more comfortable with women as himself, he says. Um, yeah, it would be actually kind of funny and ironic if, although Marwyn is now gone, he has jumped on a boat. He's on his way to Daenerys. Um, that if Marwyn is so wrapped up with his own bullshit that he does not notice Cerella Sand, or he does not notice Jack and Hagar in his presence, that he's um, his head is off in his own world his own magical world as it often is just like things that go beyond his notice um sam is the slayer of as li- uh sam the slayer maybe a slayer of lies but he'll see through them um uh, purple lord leo uh Anas anansi and carl Karsnark are both sort of alluding to the same thing um, how many faceless men are there, how many of them are on Westeros at the same time. Um it's unclear. We only I think we see less than ten in the house of black and white that are actually faceless men. You include Jack it's not that many and and Arya. Um It's assumed that Jacken is the only faceless man in Westeros at the moment. Doesn't mean he it's true. Maybe there's more, but he's definitely the only one we've seen, so saying like oh there must be like x amount to 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 be in western at the same time I i don't know it would just be guesswork like it would make sense from um a practical standpoint that the faceless men have like um have agents in different places that there are faceless, like maybe Jacken is the westerosi faceless man perhaps there's a volantis faceless man perhaps there's an ashai faceless man that they all are um kind of like um from the the born movies that they sort of live their lives until they get instructions and then they are activated and they do stuff could be something like that um <clears throat> Who really knows um, until we see more. We've only really seen the ones in
2: the house of black and white and Jacken. So hard to tell. But it's also because um, Jacken's
1: abilities are so effective that maybe you don't need more. And especially because we know that their prices are so high. Littlefinger says that it would cost like more to use the faceless men to kill a princess or a king or something like that than to hire the armies to overthrow them. So maybe they don't actually, maybe they don't take that many big jobs like that.
2: Um, although we do see them taking smaller ones throughout Bravos. Hard, hard to say. Um... Oh, Vantal also asked, "Was he the faceless man who killed Balon? a Similar
1: idea to what I was just talking about. We haven't seen another faceless man in Westeros, so it stands to reason that it's that it was Jack and who also did it. Um, if you sort of track his path, too, it kind of makes sense. If he goes up from King's Landing to Harrenhal, go and then going west to um, to the Iron Islands, and then down
2: to. Old Town, kind of, you can sort of track him. It's not like he went from, it's not like he went from, uh, you know,
1: Kings Lane to Heron Hall, then Skagos. And it's like, okay, well, how would he get from Skagos to, um, to the Iron Islands to kill Balon? It's, it's sort of a natural path to get down there. Also, there's shipping lanes between
2: those areas, like Seaguard Guard, um, that, that end up down in, um, in Old Town. Tokas 420 says someone was spying on Arya because the kindly man seemed to
1: know Arya killed someone before she fessed up yeah um, you have to assume that throughout her entire time in Braavos that uh, Arya is under surveillance either from the people around her the family she's living with or just other faceless men maybe somebody like the uh, the waif is just trailing her at all times because again they could be anyone so yeah it's um I'm betting that all of her exploits when she's sent out on her training missions basically are being detailed and the Faceless Men are using her reports versus what they know actually happened to judge will she continue her training, what are they going to do next Um, is she ready for the next step like they also give her the ritual blinding at one point Um, it's (laughs) it's Yeah, it's it's hard to say. Um but I would guess that everything she does in Bravos is being watched and um notated back to the faceless men. Especially cuz as I noted in my video, the relationship between the General Bravosi and the faceless men is pretty tight. Um although there is something interesting that happens with um when Jet, when uh, Arya is brought to the House of Black and White where she, they don't want her to go through the normal port. They actually put her on a rowboat before they get to the, um, the before they get inspected by the, uh, the harbor master, and she gets rowed off to the house of black and white on her own. implying that while the regular bravosi, uh, the common people perhaps have this relationship with the faceless men that maybe the authorities of bravos are unhappy with their with having the faceless men um a part of their culture or they don't like that they the challenge to their power or just some kind of maybe maybe bravos is trying to move beyond the faceless men and
2: For that reason, they don't want to expose who they consider Jack and Hagar to the authorities. That is one thing I I really found interesting on rereading these chapters. How,
1: when you consider Bravos, and in terms of the Iron Bank and the Sea Lord, but there's also the um, the island of the gods, where there's the moon singers, and there's the cult of starry wisdom, and all these other um, old, kind of faded religions, are all still have power in bravos. And there's a real jockeying for position between the sea lords, between the iron bank, between the faceless men, and all these other organizations that have sort of come together in one collective. That while the bravosi people obviously revere the faceless men and will help them perhaps the the rest of the probosi power structure would not maybe they are not big fans or maybe some of their uh, their leaders
2: have been killed in the past by the faceless men and they would take an opportunity to um mess with them or just extract like maybe a toll You never know. Um. Oh, somebody brought this up.
1: Um, I forget where it was. Maybe it was on Twitter or maybe my patron Slack, but they were talking about Dune in, in terms of the faceless men and um george is obviously a big fan of frank herbert and dune and in that in that book series there is this idea of characters that can be shielded from magic and prophecy in somehow um that that, that is a plot point where um there's a way to do it where they can essentially be holes in the world of magic where they can be disguised or just unable to be seen past um maybe something kind of like you see you know in, uh, in watchman where um dr manhattan's ability to see the
2: future is clouded by um by what's his name the um god i forget his name i'm
1: having a bad day with names but a similar idea maybe that's something that the the faithless men can do maybe that's part of ari's training that um, that is, that is also a major plot point in a lot of George's other stories that, um, Ozzy, uh, yes, sorry, the <laughs> Third in chat, Ozzy Man, Mandias or Ozzy uh, whatever you want to call him, um, Vite. it's this idea that it's psychic users or magical users have these sort of, like, mental, um, arm wrestling matches. It's very apparent in The Glass Flower, for instance, a major part of the game of minds is that the strong-minded, essentially, the game of minds is you can swap body with somebody if you can take their body from them. Uh, kind of like we saw with Varamyr's six skins and Thistle, or Bran and Hodor, um, and Vermir and all of his animals, where the ability of the, the psychic magical person is weighed against the other one so the faceless men's abilities may be tied to their ability to resist other magic users that they're like specifically trained to be um anti anti those things that um Arya's ability to be a skin changer is a very valuable trait they would go after um Uh, barrel writer says the face dancers i think they're called yeah i I i've never read dune um but i know that is a plot point there's like specifically characters that are made in a way that um
2: are that are essentially created as weapons against um major figures in dune
1: that are shielded from their magical abilities so I would imagine that's what George's conception of the faceless men are—that their abilities are not.
2: um, Their abilities are more in negating other magic users. Uh, Amanda says, "Sounds like the game of
1: faces." Yeah, could be something like that. Um, He loves a lot of his stories are about characters using their psychic abilities to try and claim other bodies or uh, overwhelm other people the pear shaped man. It's actually one of his scariest stories and it's a, a magical thriller psychic thing where you're actually seeing this person trying to claim another, another body, but you're seeing it from the per from the perception of the victim. And you're only seeing the psychic person as he slowly starts to invade her mind. And eventually the swap is made and it's absolutely horrifying, which is super interesting by the way, that, Uh, When we see in A Song of Ice and Fire that he shows us the other way. He only really shows us the person trying to do the mind claim and trying to win the game of minds or the game of faces um, from the perspective of the aggressor. But he has not shown us in A Song of Ice and Fire it happening from the perspective of the victim, which he has written before.
2: So something to think about. uh we'll just take a, a few more questions and then i'm gonna get out of here we have
1: been going for a little bit under two hours so any anything last throw it in the chat um uh, try and rapid fire these out as <laughs> my voice is going and actually snowed here today so i got some to make sure my um my garden's okay and get some stuff done outside um <coughs> Uh, Lady Dillsdale, earlier in the chat, I think I called out her question. She said uh, the multiple coins things that Jack can give her spare are the recruitment method. I don't think that um, it doesn't seem like the faceless men are kind of are like Hogwarts, where they have lots and lots and lots of people that are trying to um, become faceless men. That it's like it's an academy. It seems more like a. very small order that they are um they recruit only the ones they want rather than going for the other method which is like if the citadel does with their with their um apprentices or their their novices where they let anybody join to be at the bottom level but then they slowly whittle them away until you get up to the archmaesters it doesn't seem like the faceless men are doing that much at all they rather um <laughs> They're rather recruiting only the people they want, that I, and they probably are pretty sure when
2: they, when they select them and become faceless men, that they will succeed already. <clears throat> Um Lady Starfall asks, I wonder if the shade of the evening
1: helps with pain. Um it's a good question. It's it doesn't seem that way for um when Aaron Greyjoy is forced to drink it. It seems to instead bring up all of his physical his mental pain back where he sees his dead brothers and he sees this horrible nightmare. That perhaps Euron is projecting into his mind, but whatever it is, it doesn't seem fun. <laughs> I don't think the people taking the Shade of the Evening are having a super great time while taking it. It's just sort of like connecting them to maybe like sort of like being awake while dreaming the whole time. <clears throat> Guilty Undertaker says, Arga seems to fail multiple times, yet she gets, keeps getting promoted. Exactly. Where um, the, the <laughs> I think they expect... They recruit to fail, and they put a lot of effort into training them. There's a lot of one-to-one time on them. She's not sitting in classes. She's not. Um, th- there's nothing like um, training methods that we see from what we're usually what we're used to with these kind of organizations. It's more a direct pr- apprenticeship than um, than like a school sort of thing. <clears throat> Chris Fine says, Do "You see, Bravos as being a force against oppressive monarch, monarchical." Monarchical structures in the world, though it's different factions. This is a good question about um, what is the point of the Thaisos men and Bravos against the rest of the world? Because they, the Bravos, does have its anti-slavery um, stance, and they refuse to be a part of that. But they still have gotten wealthy on trading, which means at some level, since most of the rest of Essos is slavery, is pro-slavery. Um, they are, there are probably some interests in Bravos that are looking to move past that essentially as a business strategy, that they would rather um, make coin than be pure to their roots or the roots of the original members of Bravos. The Faceless Men. Um, their stated goal was to destroy the Valyrians, but the Valyrians aren't really gone. Like, the, the Valyrian Empire is dead, but the world they created is not. The Valyrian Daughters are still out there. All the, um, the colonies they made, like um, with Lys and Tyrosh, Mir, Volantis, um, what they did to Slaver's Bay, where they made Slaver's Bay by destroying the land from Old Gis and essentially making slavery the only way they could subsist so it's kind of unclear um maybe it's one of those things where are, are they just against oppressive powers or are they against oppressive valyrian powers um like uh the they took they took a contract from euron Greyjoy to go kill bail on grayjoy and it's hard to see how you could square them being against oppressive evil in the world in general, and then also taking a job from your on Goddamn Greyjoy. joy. It's,
2: it's one of those things that, unless it's serving some greater goal, it's hard to square those two ideas. Amanda was thinking about the Unsullied drink the other day. Yeah, they have a, they have a particular drink that, like, makes them feel numb to everything. Kind of like being a faceless man, in a way. Um. Okay, somebody was spamming stuff in chat. That was weird. Um. People talking about other hallucinogens. Awesome. Maybe just one or two more, and then I'm going to get out of here. Uh, Tolkis 420, do you think they're involved with the tigers and elephants? So those are
1: the factions of Volantis, the tigers versus the elephants, sort of the peace and the war factions. Um... I would bet that the Faceless Men if there's if they still are going against the valyrian uh, oppressiveness, they still are maybe trying to work against what remains of them, in particular volantis The volantis um, the volunteer slave trade and the um the not, I don't know if they're named the Pureborn, but the the Valyrians that live behind the Black Walls are essentially one dragon away from bringing back the Valyrian Empire. So um, I, this actually ties into what is their relationship to Daenerys. I imagine they are watching very closely what she is doing and how she's using her dragons to think if they have to kill her and her dragons in order to make sure that the dragon fire and the fire and blood of old freehold does not return to the rest of the world and that's what i was uh, um i was talking about earlier when like would arya be the one to put to kill daenerys in the end if she starts um going back towards empire building it's that would be something that the faceless men would be very very interested in that is their stated goal for why they started they are very much against dragon lords um Although Danny's anti-slavery stance is probably confusing them because they're like, well, she is conquering, but she's, she's trying to end slavery wherever she goes, and she seems to be beloved, and she's not just using them the way that like Aegon the Conqueror did or the Valyrians of old when they essentially raised the Rhoynar. So I, I imagine there's a lot of confusion within the Faceless Men Order when they consider Daenerys' uh, conquests and as she heads west. Uh aaron m with a super chat uh 20 dollars <laughs> the 1999 because for some reason i won't let her give 20. uh thank you very much she says i don't have a question just promising you use this money to buy some seeds thank you for another great saturday stream um i have so many seeds i have way more than i'll ever plant um i'm actually gonna go plant some after this i have some uh, flowers that I want to plant up some cosmos, some marigolds and maybe some sunflowers. Although I'm not sure if you can start those inside. Um, Definitely go to maybe to gardening stuff. Uh, It's a lot more expensive hobby than I thought, although it will pay off once I have the um, once I have everything popping up. I'm actually going to put a video up on Instagram in a little bit. Um, Things have exploded in growth again overnight. Guilty Undertaker, walls Blackwalls, Harrenhal 2.0. Yeah, it seems very likely that Daenerys is going to Harrenhal Volantis on her way west. She just skipped it in the show, but um, their role as being a roadblock towards Westeros is not going to be undersold, including the fact that they sent a fleet of slaves directly at Slavers Bay, but Bonero of the Red Temple is preaching the otherwise that Daenerys will
2: save them. So that's going to... That will definitely be something to, to look for. <clears throat> all right, so I think that's about it, everybody. Um,
1: just uh, quickly do some more, go back and do the, my plugs again. Um, obviously like, share, subscribe all the videos. Next video coming out will be about how um, Aegon the sixth, or Fagon as he's known, will take Storm's End. Um, non-magical one for once um talking be working off uh brendan beefish's blood of the conqueror series she wrote a few years ago um i have a different take on the ending of it which um he has been pushing me for quite some time to actually put to paper um i think we're gonna do a wednesday video game stream crusader kings 2 probably house dane um also if you want to support me um in these trying times for everybody, uh, you can go to Patreon, patreon.com slash You can, um, at the $5 level, you get access to the patron-only episodes, the, the, the patron slack, as well as um, you get the videos, you get to listen to the videos a day early. At higher levels, you can actually watch them up to a day or two early. Um, <coughs> um, let's see here. Social media, uh, uh, at... The Joe Magician on Twitter at Matt wrote this on Instagram. I recently renamed my blog to joe magician.wordpress.com. I have to change all this for the videos. That was not great decision making on my part. Um, I'll be back next Saturday. Um, I'm gonna, move, I'm gonna push it back to 2 p.m. to be nicer to West Coast people. Um, <clears throat> um, yeah. Also, um, Nessie just posted in chat the, the link to the Wit and Wisdom of Joe Magician. That's the podcast feed where if these are too long to watch, you can I put them out as audio only versions so you can listen to them. Um, guys, do me a favor. Go to um, iTunes, look it up. And if you could give it a rating and a review, it would really help for um, getting uh, viewership or even you know, a listeners on that stuff itunes cares very much about ratings and reviews um so i think that's all the things um haven't planned the topic for next week next weekend maybe i'll have a guest back we'll see um anyway thanks everybody uh, hope you had a really good time uh we add up to like i think 150 people in here really great to see you all um stay safe stay
2: inside stay quarantined and have a good weekend